What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and it's our last Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. And it makes me sad for one reason in particular, and that is our guest here in this first segment. We will catch up with him throughout the offseason but we were doing it weekly, and we've done it weekly with General Manager Nick Casario, and it's been a blast. We come in there, and we talk about any number of things, and we'll get together in the offseason. I got a feeling they'll be in everything but the Texans' Nick Casario interview, which could be very, very interesting as we learn more about the general manager of the team, and obviously we'll learn more about the offseason and such, but we won't have this weekly Nick Casario interview, which is Really, uh, unfortunate for us, I, I love it. I love having him on, and it's been great. I don't know uh, many general managers that spend uh, as much time as Nick does with us and with the radio crew, so we really appreciate Nick for being part of that. And we'll get to him in just a second, but we also got Jim Wyatt on the show tonight. He covers the Titans and has covered him from the inception for the Titans. It's not always been for the Titans. I think he started with the Tennessee and then he went and worked for the Titans themselves. He will be on with DP Sidhu's. We go behind enemy sidelines. Then it's men behind the mics. Mike Keith, one of our favorites, just happens to be for the rival Tennessee Titans. We'll join Mike Ver- Mark Vandermeer, which is awesome. And then my man Patch Mac. Oh yeah, Marcus Coleman. Does a little where are they now with Drew Doherty. That is going to be freaking awesome. I cannot wait. It give you a little peek behind the curtain. Once Marcus was done playing, he came over to the radio station where I was working. And he would come on and he'd chop it up. And then he'd hang out all day. And he'd just talk ball and be around and kind of got into the hijinks of what we were all doing, and he was awesome. He's gotten back into coaching and want to hear more from Marcus Coleman a little later in the show with Drew Doherty with a Wednesday, Where Are They Now? But as I said, we kick off the show each and every Wednesday with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Mark, me, Nick. Here we go. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, Happy New Year. Great to have you with us. Final week of the season. How do you feel going into the final tilt? Yeah, good morning. Good to be here. Happy New Year. Um, yeah, good opportunity for our team to, uh, you know, try to make some progress in their division um, against a really good team. So a lot of respect uh, and admiration for what Tennessee, what Mike and John have done and put together. Um you know, division champs, so certainly be a challenge for us. They'll present some challenges that are a little bit different than uh, San Francisco posed, but good opportunity for our team to try to have a good week, you know, and go out on a positive note. Nick, what are your thoughts about Sunday against San Francisco? You got a 7-3 lead at half. It's 10-7 going to the fourth quarter. You're standing up going toe-to-toe physically with one of the tougher teams in the league. What are your overall thoughts from Sunday? Yeah, had some opportunities. Uh you know, kept the game kind of competitive there for a little bit. It was close in the fourth quarter. I think it was 10-7 in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, really the, the the series ended up being a difference, you know, getting knocked out of field goal range to a degree on third down or missed the field goal um, and then turn around and give out the big play and a touchdown. So it goes from a three-score game to a 10-point game in, you know, fairly short order of time. So, uh, you know, just emphasize the importance of execution, uh, situational football, you know, third down, a kicking game, and then not uh, giving up big plays, which those elements will certainly show up 
Um, you know, this week with Tennessee is a good, really good situational team, third down in the red area. They're among the top 10 in the league. So, um, you know, it comes down to execution, um, a critical situation when it matters. And, you know, there's a handful of plays that, that San Francisco was able to execute. Um, and as a result, they ended up victorious. And you did get that execution in the first half at times, Nick, when you had the pick and you were able to drive 80 yards, get the touchdown, get the ball back. I know you couldn't do anything with it or didn't do anything with it, but that was good to see the Texans take the lead and able to get a three and out after that. Yeah, there were enough good things in the game um, at different points. That series that you alluded to that you mentioned, uh, it's a pretty good awareness play by Desmond um, where they tried to sneak the tight end out, you know, on a weak side, um, you know, and just kind of – Stay disciplined in his own coverage. Um, I think Lance probably thought the tight end was behind Desmond. Desmond just carried, um, stayed, you know, underneath the receiver in his own and made a good play in the ball, which Desmond, one of his strengths or his hands and his ball skills always has been. So, um, you know, anytime you take the ball away from the opposing team, that's always a good thing. So um, turnovers are important. Turnovers are part of the game. Um, you know, we gave them one there a little bit, you know, whatever point that was. So, um those little things certainly matter. Um, they're going to matter this week, just as they have just about every other week here in every game. Nick, you mentioned a little while ago talking about Tennessee and how good they were in situational football. By the way, my wife had a comment the other night about situational football that blew my mind. She said, why isn't everything in football situational, which was true. But I had to try and explain to her specific situations. You mentioned third down, red zone. Teams that you have seen win championships or be very, very good. Which situational aspect were they the best at? And which one do you want the Texans to be the best at? If you're going to pick one, I know you want to be best at all, but if there was one that's most important, which situational would, situation would you want to be the best at? No, it's an interesting thought. Ultimately, the game comes down to points. So where do where do points happen? They happen in a red area. So your ability to execute in a red area from call, you know, the 10 and in, you know, from the once you get the ball through the 20 yard line, the percentages are fairly high in a field goal. So as you move a little bit close to the end zone, the difference and, you know, the field goal versus the touchdowns are the four point plays. So, you know, your red zone execution is important. You know, teams that can have success running the football into the uh, into the end zone. Um, that's usually kind of gives them a little bit of an advantage. It's always hard to throw the ball. I mean, the hardest situation for any team to be in is offensively at least third and eight or nine, you know, third and goal from the eight or nine. That's a hard play. So, but I'd say red zone, you know, points correlate to winning, you know, so between red area offense and or defense, third down is just a way to continue drives throughout the course of the game. But I think the point that your wife actually made, you know, each play is a different situation. You go from first down to second down, second down to third down, first down to second down, second down to first down, and you just have to adjust to the flow of the game as you go. So I would say that's why the, those critical situations, games usually come down to who executes best in a red area, who can execute on third down to keep drives going, who can execute in the two-minute situations, which a lot of those are either end of half and then obviously the end of game situation. And then the turnover ratio or turnover factor, your ability to take the ball away and not give it to the other team, those all correlate to winning probably as much as anything. So all situations are important. They all matter. Um, you know, they, you never know when, which one is going to ultimately be the determining factor in the game, but you certainly have to have a heightened awareness, especially in a red area and especially on third down, because those end up being probably some of the more critical plays and there's less of them during the course of the game. So your ability to have success, success on whichever side of the ball you're on, um, you know, is, is a big factor. 
Nick, it feels like we see more people going for two, and it feels like we see more people going for it on fourth down. I know situations do depend on that as well, but by your estimation, when did this become more frequent, the going for it on fourth down in particular? Um, it's a good question, Mark. I'd say over the last maybe two to four years. So think, you know, what's happened, there's been a little bit more information um, that maybe teams are utilizing or incorporating into their sort of game planning and game management. Um, it's interesting. We were kind of looking at this going into um, our game on Saturday. The call it the plus 40 to plus 30 area of the field is probably where you've seen the most increase or uptick in teams kind of having to make a decision about when to or when not to go forward on fourth down, whether to kick a field goal, whether to punt. Um, and I'd say the kind of 36 to 30 area is a pretty premium real estate area because it forces you to kind of think. So you factor that in and you factor into, especially when you get late into the game in the fourth quarter, once you get under about, call it maybe nine or 10 minutes, I mean, realistically, you're going to have about four possessions, two on each side of the ball. Um, so how do you handle those situations? You know, how what goes into your thought process? What's a score in the game? I mean, so I would say the whole fourth down discussion looks like over the last few years, you have some coaches that are a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more inclined to sort of not take risk, but it's – it's more of a calculated risk and a decision um, because if you give the ball up at that point, you know, how much do you actually lose or gain? So mm -hmm. I'd say every staff, every coach has a different philosophy and you just have to stay true to whatever you believe in. Nick, the season ends on Sunday. Everybody knows that, but your to-do list, I don't want to say it ends with the season begins <clears throat> with a new one. It's just probably a really long to-do list that you get into, but what are some of the first two things you've got to do Monday, when you wake up, come into the office, season's over. What do you start doing at that particular point to get ready for 2022 and especially this offseason? Yeah, the big thing you really just after the game on Sunday, you kind of have an end point. So your sort of regular season flow, some of the things that go into the you know weekly decision making, who's on the roster, who's off the roster, who's at the game, who's inactive. You don't have to worry about that. But in terms of the overall team building and player acquisition and kind of planning, you know, it's fairly fluid. Um, you just kind of have an end point. So now that the season is over, you have some players that you know are not under contract come the middle of uh, March or whenever the league year starts. So you have to look at, I would say, your entire roster, who you have under contract, who's not under contract. I would say some of the res reserve future players you'll see, they'll be, you know, the teams aren't playing, they'll sign their reserve future players, which essentially they're free agent players that, you know, you plan on taking to the offseason program, taking to a training camp, understanding that, you know, a player that you sign or draft, you draft or you sign after the draft could maybe offset that player. So I would say that's a factor um, where you are kind of on injured players relative to who's going to need offseason surgery and just the timeline associated with that. So I would say from a roster standpoint, those are some of the things that are going to come into play. And then really from a, I would say coaching staff standpoint, you know, schematically just going back and kind of reviewing everything that has happened. I mean, there are certain things that I would say the Houston Texans this year, we've done fairly well. And there's other areas, quite frankly, we haven't done very well at all. So going back and evaluating those situations, kind of what happened, how do we prepare? How do we practice it? You know, those are some of the things I'd say over the next month or so that, you know, your coaching staff is going to have to really dig into. Um, and then kind of once you get through that, then February, March, you start to transition into sort of the draft 
uh, preparation, at least from other air, other members of the staff, our scouting staff has been immersed in that, you know, for a long time here. Um, and then really the next checkpoint on the calendar, you know, the start of the league year is March 18th or whatever it is, you know, four o'clock. So there's certain players that are, you know, are going to be available. Um, so there's a lot of work between let's call it now and then that you're going to go into. So projecting, um, you know, salary size, what that potentially player is going to make on the open market. Is this someone we're going to be interested in? Can we afford that contract? How does he fit within the construct of what we're trying to do? Who's coming back? So, I mean, it's really – it's just a continuation and ongoing. I think the season just kind of gives you an end point. But quite frankly, you know, you're probably as busy or put as much time and effort into what happens after the season as you do during the season. Nick, you signed so many players last offseason, so many free agents. And I know this has to be an ongoing process, but take us through a little bit about how you evaluate – potential free agents on other teams maybe during the season versus right after because it's not like you can just start gathering information mid-January. I know you've probably been doing that all along, but then you get a sort of crunch time element leading into free agency as you have to make a decision whether you're going to pursue them or not. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good point. So, I mean, just one of the things just in terms of my process, so every team that we played, I mean, I've written up every player on their roster and color-coded the players that, we, uh, you know, we know are going to be free agents and or restricted free agents, you know, which I would say that market is – certainly become less but so as you prepare for a team or prepare for an opponent you know you're watching a how they're playing during the year within their scheme what they're doing for their team but you know their strengths their weaknesses and kind of maybe how you would project that player um, into your system if you had the opportunity to sign him so um, so to your point there's certainly work that's been done already and then you know we'll gather kind of collectively as a um, as a personnel department and you know you'll go through I would say a general stacking process like you would do for a draft board so look at the position look at who's available you know um, arrange them according to grade highest to lowest and then once you have the 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 grade of the player what you feel his value is to your team then okay what's the projected contract commensurate with that player and you know there might be a gap there might be a mismatch let's say we grade a player a certain level but his contract is projected to be higher. Well, okay, maybe that's not a player that, quite frankly, we should be targeting because there's a little bit of a gap. Now, if we have identified a certain player, here's what we think his value is, here's his grade, here's what we think his role is on a team, here's what his projected market is, understanding that that could change because it only takes one team to change that once they get into free agency and then to say, okay, like here's kind of a target group. And then you start to maybe do some uh, research and from um, gathering behind the scenes. And, you know, you can't really talk to their agents or representatives until you get to March anyway. So, I mean, that's a sort of a separate bucket once you get into that. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of planning that goes into it, but you have an idea of who's going to be available, um, not only on the opposing teams, but then also league wide probably need to spend a little bit more time just on the other players and other teams league wide that we haven't played this year, just so we, make sure we know who they are. So um, there's a lot of components. There's a lot of uh, things that go into it. But, you know, whenever the new league year begins, you know, hopefully we'll be ready to go. And we've identified some players that we feel, A, we can afford, and B, that we think can help us in a particular role. Nick, how important is the process between your scouts having seen college players for sometimes two, three years, <clears throat> and then your coaching staff getting involved in the process who haven't seen these guys probably other than maybe watching a game on TV and having a synergy between the two groups to make sure that you are given the best information, to be able to stack your board, et cetera. How important is that process of merging the scouts with the coaches to get that process taken care of? 
Yeah, no, it's important, you know, and it's, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword too, because, you know, you've invested a lot of time kind of, you know, on a personnel side and scouting side. And then, you know, we try to be, I would say, very purposeful about which players we give our coaches. Quite frankly, I don't think it's very productive just to give them a list of, you know, 75 players at each position and say, okay, go evaluate those players and tell us what you think. I mean, it's kind of counterproductive. It's not really a good use of their time. So we try to take the big picture, maybe shrink it down a little bit and then and be able to provide the coaches and say, all right, here's these group of however many players it is, take a look at them, you know, what's your evaluation of the player, about how you see them. And quite frankly, that's kind of my role in this is I can kind of be, you know, the synergistic link between the coaching staff and the personnel staff, you know, just ultimately that's, you know, one of the reasons that I'm here to kind of help bridge that gap a little bit, just understanding what we're doing, you know, on a week to week basis. So, um, and then also where you gather the information from and how you get that, as you know, you know, depending on who you speak to and, you know, they could say one thing to a coach, that they've said something different to a member of your scouting staff. So, okay, you know, what's the right information? You know, where's the truth lies? So I would say there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of conversation. And ultimately, you know, we're not going to bring a player in that, you know, there's a disconnect on the player. If we feel that, you know, one group maybe feels a certain way and the other group feels a certain way, well, in the end, it's going to make a decision, you know, is it worth it or not? So, you know, we want players that, A, fit what we're trying to do, that everybody has the confidence in, and they're actually going to invest the time and the effort and the energy in that player when they get here. Because if you do it the other way, you're ultimately going to run into problems. Sunday is Fan Appreciation Day, Nick, and with the Texans in recent weeks, you had success against the Chargers, the Jags, parts of the Seattle game, parts of the 49er game. Is that a good example of what you want to show the fans? Hey, this is what we've been working on. These are some of the results so far, but you got a long way to go. How would you phrase that for us? Yeah, I would say the fan support really throughout the season has been has been great. I mean, once you get in, you know, whether it's a New England game, you know, you get into the Jets game, you know, the Chargers game you mentioned, like we've it's been pretty loud in the stadium. So I think, you know, we've had support, you know, from the fans and, you know, from the area, which is quite frankly, you know, awesome to see. You know, I think they believe in the things that we're trying to do and you're starting to see that come to fruition on the field. Understand, We have a long runway in front of us and a long way to go, but, you know, when you play at home and you get the support, um, you know, from from your your fans, you know, it's it brings a little juice, brings a little energy. I know the players sort of feed off of that. So, you know, again, when we took over, I mean, we were trying to put together the best team as possible that, you know, not only the organization, but the city can be proud of. And, you know, unfortunately, the wins and losses are what they are. But, you know, we realized that there was going to be a lot of work and a lot of time, a lot of effort that's going into this. And, you know, like we've talked about during the season, there's been a lot of things that have gone on kind of underneath the surface. Um, we've made a lot of progress, um, you know, and I think if you continue to do those things and ultimately it'll translate into more success, which is more wins and losses on the field, which is ultimately the fans just, you know, they want to be a part of a team that wins um, and has success and does it the right way. So that's our responsibility. And we're going to try to continue to do that as we, as we build this thing out. Nick, it's week 18. We've never had a week 18, the regular season before with a 17th game. Has that made a difference at all, a material difference at all, or just another week in the process? Yeah, I'd say probably a little bit more of another week in the process, um, you know, in terms of your preparation, in terms of what the players go through, your routine, kind of how you schedule your week and what you go through during the course of the week. It's not going to change. You know, it's just an additional week. But, you know, we've tried to do a good job. The players have done a good job sort of managing themselves and managing their bodies and understanding what they have to do at different points of the week. So, 
you know, just pushes everything, I would say, end of the season into the offseason a little bit further out. But, you know, it, ultimately we have to go out there and play and perform. That's what, what uh, you know, what, our, what we're paid to do, what our responsibility is. So we're going to put everything into this this week like we have every other week. We're not going to cut any corners. You know, we're going to have a good attitude. We're going to work hard. We're going to go out there and try to prepare for a really good team um, and ultimately go out there and try to play a good football game on Sunday. Nick, we really appreciate all the weekly visits. Thank you so much. I mean, everyone's gotten so much out of these. So thank you for visiting with us each week here on Texans Radio and Video. No, I really enjoy the opportunity, enjoy the conversation, um, you know, really enjoy doing it on a week-to-week -week basis and, uh, you know, look forward to spending a little bit more time together in the offseason when we get the opportunity. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I can promise you we're going to have some good offseason conversation with Nick as we go into an offseason that, as we've said many times, and I'll quote the famous Landry Locker, my good friend, this is going to be the most exciting offseason in the history of the Texans, and I couldn't agree more. And we got the man driving it, and it's going to make it extremely exhilarating and fun, especially as it, as it pertains to the draft, and if the draft turns out the way that these, this last one did with all five guys making impact, man, if there are more in the way, get this thing turned around in Houston, hopefully lickety-split. How about that? Okay, let's get some transaction news from today because it was pretty extensive and, for the most part, pretty good news. Two, four, six, seven players were removed from the COVID-19 reserve list, and they are as follows in alphabetical order. Danny Amendola. Antonio, Antonio, Anthony O'Claire, Rondell Carter, Titus Howard, David Johnson, Lonnie Johnson Jr., and Chris Moore. Two more were restored to the practice squad as they were taken off the COVID-19 list, and that was kicker Dominic Eberly and fullback Paul Questenberry. The Texans subsequently then took two players from the practice squad, had to release them. The aforementioned Dominic Eberly and Darius Jackson. Dominic Everly may not be remembered down the road, but when we look back on the 2021 season, you think about great wins, you think about the Chargers. And in that game, he had a 51-yard field goal, the very first field goal attempt that he had. But those names I mentioned earlier, Amendola, Eclair, Carter, Howard, Johnson, Johnson, and Chris Moore getting back, great news for Week 18's finale against the Tennessee Titans. So while we're at it, let's get to the injury report. And there is a little bit of news from the Titans. Now, I don't know if it's going to impact Sunday or not, but we'll get to that in a second. The Texans had a walkthrough today, so this injury report's only an estimation. Chris Conley did not participate. And three players, Justin Britt, Jonathan Gennard, Kamu Grugier-Hill, were limited participants. Now, at Tennessee... They had Naquan Jones, the big fella up front, dealing with a knee issue. They had Jack Rabbit Jenkins, Ben Jones, Julio Jones, Kendall Lamb, Roger Saffold, all limited participants. Laurel Murchison, Derek Roberson were full participants. Also participant at practice today, Derek Henry. He has entered the 21-day window to be activated off of injured reserve. Now, if you're wondering, boy, we're going to see the rushing leader of the last two years. Don't know. Gut says probably not. That they'll go with Dante, Deontay Foreman. They'll go with Dontrell Hilliard. Those two guys have been great. They'll give Henry just that much more time. If the Titans win on Sunday, that gives the Titans the bye in the AFC, an additional week for Henry to get ready, and then they would play that game at home. 
But Henry was at practice today. The Titans, not the Titans, but Titans media were tweeting out pictures and video of Henry being at practice. No guarantee he doesn't play this Sunday. No guarantee that he does. It's just that he has entered that 21-day window. But the thought coming out of Tennessee has been that Derrick Henry would be held for the playoffs, which means the Texans would not face him in 2021. And I would be fine with that. I don't like seeing 22 go for 200 large, which he has done the last three times he faced the Texans. So he can just take Sunday off for all that matters. Okay, we get back. Let's hear from Jim Wyatt. I'm sure Derek Henry's situation will come up in our conversation with DP Sitters. We go behind enemy sidelines right here on Texans All Access. It's all Access. It's all Access. It's all Access. I know all my great teachers have gone back to work this week, be it virtual or back in the classroom, and I want to help you out. I want you to bring a little Texans football to your classroom. So I need you to sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more And I want all of you out there to enter to win daily prizes for Fan Appreciation Week presented by Verizon. Prizes include a 12-person suite to a Texans 2022 preseason game, a Verizon 5G smartphone, and more. Enter now at HoustonTexans.com slash Fan Appreciation. That will go on until July 9th, so make sure you do that. Welcome back to Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend, D.P. Sidhu. And when it's Tennessee Titans week, there's only one person it could be. That is Jim Wyatt. D.P., take it away. It's Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft. My guest, Jim Wyatt, he covers the Tennessee Titans for the team. I talked to him twice a year. The Titans, they're AFC South champs for the second year in a row. And they've got a chance to secure that number one seed in the AFC playoff picture. It's been such a season of adversity for the Titans, Jim. I mean, you cover the team. How, how surprised are you at where the Titans are sitting right now heading into week 18? Well, I mean, this has been a team that's really flown under the radar, even though it's had a couple of uh, couple of times in that number one spot. Uh, and they've had some great success, you know, winning a long stretch of games against, you know, teams that went to the playoffs last year. But as you mentioned, there's been a lot of adversity. And uh, this team has played with 88 different players this year because of injuries. Played half the year with that Derrick Henry, the offensive MVP from a year ago. Played a long stretch with that. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones has just not had the impact a lot of people thought they'd had. They've had to deal with a lot of COVID issues. But this has been a resilient team. And uh, just when people maybe want to count them out, they seem to rise to the occasion. That's what happened on Sunday is they, they won to get into that number one playoff spot with the help of the Bengals beating the Chiefs. And now the plan is to keep it. And uh, you know certainly – it's, it's not going to be easy. This is, I know the Texans came in here and beat the Titans on their home field earlier this season. I'm sure that got the Titans' attention as well going into this one, but in a good spot. And, and you know, we all know how valuable that number one seed is this year because only one team gets one and only one team gets that playoff by. And it's, it's just like, you know, it's just like a, a win in the playoffs if you can get it. So a lot of momentum and a lot of reason for the Titans to be ready to play in this game on Sunday. 
Yeah, that first round by is going to have to go through Houston for the Titans. But uh, you mentioned that week 11 matchup and, and Derrick Henry. It's, it seems like he's going to be the big storyline heading into this week's game, whether or not he comes back off of uh, IR. And, and the Titans have done such a good job running the ball in recent weeks. Is there a real rush to bring Henry back or maybe just save him for the playoffs? Yeah, and that's the big question here. You know, how valuable is it to get him eight, ten carries, to get him to knock the rust off? I think he's going to play at some point this season. Uh, So whether that's going to be in the season finale or whether that's going to be in the playoffs kind of remains to be seen. I mean, if the Titans can take care of business on Sunday, you can get them an extra extra week's rest. But, you know, there's a school of thought there that you kind of get him up, you know, back in the flow of things. Then he's got a week to recover if the team wins. That's the million-dollar question in Nashville. I don't know how how that's going to be decided. I know a lot of people are anxious to see him on the practice field. I think the Titans will kind of see how that goes. But one of the reasons it's been successful and the reason they've been able to win without him is because of a former Texan, Deontay Foreman. I know, you know very you're familiar with him. and He's done a great job. Dontre Hilliard's done a, a great job. You know, Mike Rabel talking yesterday about some of these running backs who who were kind of out of a job. He's kind of like stray cats. You bring them into the, in your home, and the guys have turned out to be great for the Titans. So I'm myself, I'm curious just to see what ultimately is decided on, on what happens with Derrick Henry. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Deontay Foreman. Uh, he's just, you know, had some tremendous games recently. But it seemed like when Henry first went out, the Titans sort of struggled with that offensive game plan of just running the ball and running it effectively. Where was the turnaround and, and what really changed for them here in, in this past month or so? Yeah, and it was kind of a struggle earlier. They're trying to find their identity again and trying to figure out what the best balance was. And uh, I would say that maybe started to flip. You know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, Foreman has gone for over 100 yards in three of the last five. So sometime around that, Patriots game after the New England game. You know, they lost in New England, but the Titans, you know, had two backs that went for over 100 yards in that game, and they went for over 200 rushing yards as a team. I think that's when they really started to kind of get the flow back in the running game, and 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 Foreman has had a lot of success after that. I mean, he's at four, he's almost at 500 yards uh, in the game since Derek left. The running game as a whole has been, you know, almost as productive as it was with Henry, just using a variety of different backs. Now, getting Derrick Henry back is going to make a big difference because it changes the way teams defend the Titans. He's obviously got a breakaway threat that uh, that these backs do not have. But the running game has been good without him, and then he's just going to give him a shot in the arm when he does come back. All right, another guy that hasn't been on the field too much. You mentioned earlier Julio Jones. There was a lot of expectation for him. Uh, when the Titans signed him this offseason, he comes off the COVID list. He's dealt with a lot of injuries this year. But if he comes back here in week 18, what does that mean for Tannehill in the offense? Uh, I wish I could tell you it would, you know, it's going to jumpstart the team and take him to another level. But uh, I've kind of learned, you know, in covering Julio and watching him is you just, you know, you get what you get. I mean, and I'm not, uh, no, you're not trying to be critical of, of him, but it, it just has been his production has been hit or miss. I mean, either because of uh, his ability or inability to finish games, whether or not they look his way. I mean, he's out there a lot of times and playing and and doesn't get the football. And part of that's because they've got a better receiver on the other side in A.J. Brown, and, and the tension maybe 
that goes to Julio, AJ benefits from that. And I think other guys benefit from it. You know, I, I think in a perfect world, if you're the Titans, uh, you know, the coaching staff management, management, you know, no matter what has been said about Julio and the way that has played out so far, all that can be washed away if he can kind of get some momentum and be a big difference maker from this point moving forward. I mean, that's really why you bring a guy like that in here is to help you win a championship. And it hasn't gone well so far. I mean, right now, you know, we're, we've got a game left in the season. Julio Jones got 26 catches for 376 yards. And he hasn't even scored a touchdown. I mean, that that's a, that's not a lot of production for a guy that you gave up a good amount for and you're paying a lot for. But if he can help this team – down the stretch, help this team in the playoffs, help this team get to a Super Bowl and make an impact then, then, you know, I think that trade's going to turn out to be beneficial. But um, how much of a boost he gives them, I know that was your question. It's hard to say because it's been, it's been one of the most impossible things to predict this year. Yeah, and hard to build that chemistry when you're just not on the field. Yes. Um, Jim, about Zach Cunningham, now he's with the Titans. He was released by the Texans earlier this season. He gets reunited with Mike Frabel. He's seen some action in the last three games there in Nashville. What do you expect out of him? Has his role expanded? Will it expand here in uh, the postseason? And, and what have you thought of him so far? Well, I, I've always loved Zach Cunningham as a player. I, I've got so much glare on me. I don't know if you can tell that I got on a Vanderbilt hat. I'm a Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Zach Cunningham play, you know, on West End, you know, for some years and just thought he was a great player and just fast and runs to the ball and is physical. And then watching him with the Texans during his time there uh, playing against him, you know, I was always impressed by the way he played. He came in here and, and started right out of the gate and he's playing a lot of snaps and he's part of their starting unit in the base package. And I think he has fit in really well and, uh, I think he's going to continue to play. I think the more he plays, the more familiarity he has with his defense and his teammates and expectations. I think the, the more of an impact he's going to make. You know, that was a, a group when he joined it. It was kind of, you know, disjointed a little bit. Had a lot of guys, you know, out with injuries or on the COVID list. And now all of a sudden they're get, getting guys back healthy. You know, Zach Brown's is now uh, – Jayon Brown, I should say – is now back off the COVID list and playing. Rashawn Evans is playing his best ball right now. David Long, who had a long stretch of being out, he's now back. And then you put those guys alongside, you know, Zach Cunningham. And all of a sudden, Titans, that, that may be one of their deepest positions on the team inside backer. But with all that said, Zach is kind of at the top of the heap there. I mean, he's and he's the guy that they're looking to not only down the stretch this year, but I think for, you know, for the future. So, I think they were lucky to get him. Don't know what happened down there that led to him leaving. But um, I know the Titans feel like they're very fortunate to get a guy of that caliber, um, you know, late in the season. Yeah, certainly hard to see some former Texans there on the opposite side of the field, especially in the division. Uh, you, you mentioned 88 players that have played for one reason or another, either because of COVID or injuries to the other starters on the team. So that's actually an NFL record for a non-strike season. I was reading about that a little bit earlier. What or who has really impressed you the most with just the season and everyone that's had to step up? I mean, is it is it really a credit to Mike Vrabel? Is it some of the other guys, some unsung heroes? I mean, wh who do you credit some of these, these guys stepping up and really performing for the Titans this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, Vrabel deserves a lot of credit. I mean, and, and 
certainly partial to him, you know, working for the team and, and watching the team on a regular basis. When I see, you know, team, people talking about coach of the year nominees, if, if the Titans win this game on Sunday and finishes the number one seed in the AFC with everything that's kind of gone on, losing Derrick Henry, I, I don't know how Mike Brable's not your coach of the year in the NFL, and some coaches out there have done a great job. It's not just Vrabel. I mean, I, I think John Robinson, the team's general manager, and his staff, did a great job in identifying players who would be a good fit and having those guys available in the practice squad to step in and play if needed. And to be able to find guys on the market, whether it's Deontay Foreman, who they had familiarity with because he's there last year, Buster Screen, a guy who was on, you know, on the street and became available. He he has stepped in and played really well for them. And they've done a good job in finding guys in the flow of the season to plug in and play. You know, Greg Maven, another guy who kind of stepped in on short notice in his play. They've had so many guys that have come in and um, and played a role. The scouting staff and the general manager done a good job in having players on the practice squad ready and practicing and up to speed where they can step into play. And that's kind of going on all season. So it's a testament to Coach Brable. It's a testament to, to John Robinson. It's a testament to some of these guys who have been asked to play and to perform well. All right. Good stuff. Jim Wyatt covers the Titans, senior writer, editor, does it all for the team. Jim, looking forward to seeing you here on Sunday. DP, thank you. And I'll see you down there in Houston. Man, it's hard to think about the Titans the last two seasons, this not being the third one, where we end the season with the Titans in and at Energy Stadium in 2019. AJ McCarron played, resting a number of starters in that game, and the Titans won to get into the playoffs. They celebrated on the field. Last year, it took a doinked field goal to beat the Texans 38-35. That clinched AFC South for the first time since 2009, I believe. And this year, the Titans win, and they win the AFC as the, they go into the, a the playoffs as the number one seed. They get the bye. Yikes. Each year, it's just ramped up. So hopefully your Texans can stunt all of that. But hearing Jim Wyatt's voice made me think about those finales at NRG Stadium. All right, there's a lot going, around, going on around the league. We'll hit some of those items next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and very, very hungry. This show, as much as I love it, cannot get over soon enough. But I'm telling you, at 8 o'clock, I'm driving right down the road down to my local Freddy's. Because Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts. Maybe even more second desserts. Still kind of the holiday season, so go with it. Being more together as much as we can with 17 area locations in the Houston area, Freddy's keeps the good going with a taste that brings you back. And a reminder, experience that football feeling at NRG Stadium. Visit HoustonTexas.com slash tickets to get tickets to the last game of the season or check out what's in store for 2022 season ticket memberships there was some information dropped today as the texans redefined season ticket membership for fans you want to get you want to get on that you want to get season tickets you just do 
Highlights of the redefined membership include reduced pricing on 2022-2023, flexible renewal deadlines and payment plan options, the opportunity to swap tickets between games, exclusive discounts on game day concessions, and Houston, Texas Team Shop merch, exclusive access to the team through special events. So make sure you check that out, HoustonTexans.com slash tickets. All right, let's go around the NFL because at this time of year, man, there's so much going on. I didn't quite get in a little argument with my friend Mike Meltzer, but I kind of did with this news. Jimmy Garoppolo, limited at practice. He was able to do a little bit, which got him back on the practice field. I tweeted, doesn't matter. I didn't, like, didn't say it like this, but it really doesn't matter because Trey Lance is the now and he's the future. And they need to stick with him. And look, I know if you watch that game on Sunday, as I did, saw it live, I saw Lance struggle in the first half in particular, a little bit in the second half. But after that, once he started getting it down, once the game slowed down for him, on into the third, late third, fourth quarter, the guy was in total control. And I think he should be the starter. Either way, Jimmy Garoppolo is back at practice as they get ready to take on the Rams. 49ers have got to win. The, the only way the 49ers don't get into playoffs is if the Rams beat them and the Saints win. Saints lose the 49ers in. But I think Trey Lance gives the 49ers the best opportunity against the L.A. Rams. A win clinches a playoff berth. Garoppolo, we'll see. I just feel like Trey Lance is the guy that's ready. Lance is going to get the majority of the reps this week in practice. And I think he's going to end up starting again. I think that's going to be a big thing for the San Francisco 49ers. The future is now, as they say. Now, a couple days ago, Chicago radio media magnet Herb Arkus went on air and said he would have an issue voting for Aaron Rodgers for the 2021 MVP. Arkus was on Chicago's 670 to score, and he said Rodgers is, and I quote, the biggest jerk in the league. Said Arkus, and I quote, I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did and be the most valuable player. Well, Aaron Rodgers was asked about those comments today. And Rodgers said, and again, I quote, I think he's a bum. I think he's an absolute bum. He doesn't know me. I don't know who he is. No one knew who he was probably until yesterday's comments. I listened to the comments, but to say he had his mind made up in the summertime in the offseason that I had zero chance of winning MVP, in my opinion, should exclude future votes. His problem isn't with me being a bad guy or the biggest jerk in the league because he doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything about me. I've never met him. I've never had lunch with him. I've never had an interview with him. I think he's a bum. Boy, strong words coming from the man who could be the back-to-back MVP in the league, Aaron Rodgers, right there talking about the MVP race. I don't disagree. I don't think you can go into anything with that sort of mindset and have your mind made up, no matter how you feel about a particular player, what he's done on the field, that matters. And that's all that should matter. All right, let's get to our men behind the mics. Our man, Mark Vandermeer, the Titans man, Mike Keith. When these two get together, it's always fun. I always like being the third wheel. I love getting in the conversation. I was left out on this one. We'll have men behind the mics next right here in Texas All Access. We got one hour down and one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition, our last Wednesday edition of the 2021 season. Now, we'll eventually have Wednesday All Access 
radio shows, but that will be after the Super Bowl, where we will have the hour of 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. I'm sure we'll do a lot of draft talk, um, because, well, that's a lot of times what I like to talk about, and it's hugely important this year, no doubt. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, and I want you to join a Houston Texans fan club for free. When you do, you get to attend exclusive events, enter to win prizes like autographed items and game tickets. You receive special offers and so much more. Visit HoustonTexans.com slash fans to see which club you would like to join. Now, let's get to our men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer of your Texans. Mike Keith of the Tennessee Titans. Now, it's a little, how do I say this? To me, the Tennessee Titans were born in 1999. The voice of the Titans since then is Mike Keith. The Texans were born in 2002. The voice has been Mark Vandermeer. So I look at these two men as the original voices of these two franchises. The Oilers, different story. My man Tom Franklin was the play-by-play voice for the Oilers. But the Titans, a whole different franchise. That's how I look at it. So these two OGs, the originals for their squads, Mike Keith and Mark Vandermeer, right here, men behind the mics. Let's rock. Joining us right now at Texans Radio, it's Mike Keith, voice of the Titans. And, Mike, we meet again, and since last time, the Titans, well, they went into a little dip, but they've come out of it with the last couple of games, and that win over the 49ers, very nice, 20-17, to and the dominating win over the Dolphins. What are you seeing lately out of your team? Guys, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing guys whose faces I haven't seen in, in some cases, months. And that's the exciting part of where the Titans are right now is this is the healthiest this football team has been since training camp. And able to get people back, uh, able to build depth on the defense, able to get a bye week, to get a mini bye after the Thursday night game against San Francisco. And to be able to get to last Friday and have Mike Vrabel end his press conference by saying no one has been ruled out for injury purposes. Uh, This has been a crazy year. And when we saw one another in November, it was sort of at the height of its craziness. It actually got worse the next week when we went to new England, but then the bye came and slowly, but surely this team has gotten back on a, on a more even keel. So the, the biggest difference that I've seen is in actual bodies, actual players, uh, names and numbers that you will know when you see the jerseys. Well, it's interesting because the last time these two teams played, Adrian Peterson played in the game, and it feels like a thousand years ago, uh, but that was the situation. So tell me, though, how are the Titans able to run the football so well, even without Derrick Henry, because Deontay Foreman's doing a nice job for you, among others? Well, it starts with the fact that the offensive line is back and healthy. And um, we were in a position that uh, nearly played all five starters in the offensive line every snap in the Miami game. And it would have been for the first time this year, Mark. And yet they took Roger Saffold out for the last two series because the Titans were ahead. And so, so otherwise, I mean, that's a good problem to have. Yep. But, I mean, they, they've lost people left and right they've they've had three spots that have been rotating all year and now you've got Lawan back you've got Saffold back you've got Nate Davis back you have some continuity the other thing that's improved the run game too is 
getting A.J. Brown back. Uh, A.J. Brown will get you out of an eight- or nine-man box in a hurry because you're fearful that he'll catch a crossing route and take it to the house. So as the receivers have gotten better and as the, the team is, is able to do better in that area overall, some things have just expanded, and Foreman's now been here two months. Dontrell Hilliard's now been here two months. You know, those guys were nowhere when we signed them, Mark. They, they were not in anybody's camp. They, they, in some cases, hadn't been anywhere in months. And so now this ball club has built some depth at some spots like running back, and I think it may help them as they go into the playoffs that the injuries caused them to have to play people, and now some of those folks can give you meaningful snaps if needed in January. Mike, with Ryan Tannehill, here you look at his numbers, and if I told you 17 TDs, 14 picks at this point of the year, Derrick Henry's been hurt for a big chunk, you might say, uh-oh, it's been a tough season. Might right. be a 500-ish kind of year, but it's not. Here you are locking up the top seed in the AFC this weekend with certain things happening. Uh, but what would you make of Tannehill's performance this year? Because the most important stat is record, and there it is at 11-5. and five. That's right. And the, the most important stat to take it a step further, Mark, is the fact that he started all 16 games. If he had not, if if he had been one of the players who had missed any amount of time, the Titans would not be here right now. His availability has been a huge factor in what the team has been able to do. And you look at some of his carries, too. The other day, he picks up a fourth and one with a quarterback sneak. He picks up a first down with a two-yard run. He, he scored seven touchdowns on the ground. He keeps you out of bad plays in the run game because he will check you to something better due to what a smart guy that he is. All of those sorts of things sort of get overlooked when you just look at raw numbers. You know, in the game against the Texans earlier, he threw four interceptions. Well, multiple interceptions were not his fault because – He's playing with receivers who are not used to playing. And in certain cases, guys went the wrong way. You, you can't sell them out, Mark. You mm. can't come out and say that if you're Ryan Tannehill. But the coaching staff knows. And they understand that he has had a better year than his numbers reflect. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, joining us on Texans Radio. All right, Mike, let's talk about the AFC South here for a moment because the Colts obviously don't get to win the division. Uh, they don't win last week against the Raiders. But what do you think of them going into the postseason as we stand now going into week 18? Very dangerous. Uh, what they do will travel in the playoffs. The fact that they can run the ball and that they play very physical on both sides of the line of scrimmage, uh, they can beat anybody. I, I really believe that. I think they have the type of team that if they draw the right matchups in the playoffs, they could knock off anybody. I mean, they could be a Super Bowl team. And I, I think it comes from the fact that they, too, are healthy and that they have uh, been able to develop some more weapons through the course of this year. And that, you know, Jonathan Taylor has moved to the head of the line as an elite type player in the backfield right now. Well, everybody's talking about the Jaguars coaching vacancy. How attractive is it in your estimation? It wasn't too long ago you saw the Titans beat the Jags 20 to nothing and saw them up close and personal. It's a great job. I think it's a great job. I, I think the owner is going to be willing to spend money. 
he's got it, and I think he's going to be willing to spend it. I think you've got your quarterback. I still believe in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they they have draft picks. They have cap room. Um, I, I think you're in a pretty good place if you're coming in there. Now, do I think as a head coach you're going to be handed all the power like Urban Meyer was? I do not. And you know what? I think, Mark, as we found out over the years and watching around the league together, we see in most cases that's not the best thing. In most cases, it's the best thing when the coach coaches and the GM works the roster and works the personnel and does all of that when the jobs are separate. I I think that's the way they will keep it from now on. And I think that will help them. I I think they're a scary team going into 2022. Well, we talked about how the Titans are different since the Texans and Tennessee met last time. What do you think of the Texans situation? Because different quarterbacks starting now, obviously was Tyrod Taylor, part of that win for Houston that day. The turnover bug bit hard on Tennessee that afternoon. The rain was falling. It will not be falling indoors on Sunday. I can tell you that. (laughs) What are your thoughts on Houston? I think they're smart to play Davis Mills right now and find out what they have. I remember when Davis Mills was coming out of high school, Mark, because I'm a recruiting junkie. Mm -hmm. And I remember that he was the number one quarterback in America and that everybody thought he was the deal. And it's because of what his size was. And, you know, he's sneaky athletic running that four, eight. And I mean, he's got good, he's got good power throwing the ball from the pocket. He can make every single throw. I thought the Texans stole him in the third round. I thought he might even sneak into the end of the first round. Somebody, might grab him as their heir apparent, you know, like a Tampa mm-hmm. could take him as their as their guy for the future. I think he's got that kind of ability. I really do. And I think we've seen through the three 300-yard performances and, you know, 66% completion percentage that he's he's the real thing. And he so he changes the Texans dramatically in terms of what they're able to do offensively. I mean, let's face it. If the Titans don't turn the ball over five times in the game here, that probably doesn't work out the same way based on what Houston was able to do offensively. In this situation, I think with Davis Mills, I don't think the Texans need five takeaways to have a chance to win the ball game because I think Mills gives them more offensive potential. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, joining us on Texans Radio. All right, let me give you some teams. You've seen all these teams up close, so give me your thoughts on venture into January. Let's start with the New England Patriots. You were up there in Foxborough a few weeks ago. Good team. Uh, when they play clean, they are they're as good as anybody. They can beat anybody. Uh, they are not quite as dynamic offensively as some of the other teams in the AFC, so they will have to play their game to be able to win it. I think Mac Jones is a good player. Uh, he does not look like a rookie quarterback. He looks like a guy who, you know, played at a big time program like Alabama. Um, nice coaching job. The veterans that they've added offensively and defensively clearly make them a very different team. But I tell you, they got Miami this weekend, and uh, the Dolphins just seem to have their number yeah. right now. We'll see if that continues. All right, the Bills. You beat them October eighteenth by three. Thoughts. Best explosion possibilities on both sides of the ball. And at times we have seen them live up to it. And they went through a low where they didn't. But with Josh Allen and with the weapons on offense and then with some explosive guys on defense who can really get after you, 
Uh, they're the team to me that's laying in the weeds to be able to win this thing. All right, so the Chiefs just lost to the Bengals. You beat them, the Titans did, earlier this season, 27-3. to Obviously, they're incredibly dangerous despite the loss to Cincinnati. What do you think of them going into the playoffs? That's Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's what it comes down to is they, they've got him. If, they, if they're able to, um, you know, sort of get some pieces back on offense from injury and it looks like uh, Edward Jalera is going to be back this week and they're certainly going to have him for the playoffs, it makes them even more explosive. The other thing that's happened too, Mark, is putting Chris Jones back on the inside on defense, adding Fowler from Pittsburgh on the outside. Jones really wanted to play defensive end, and so they're like, okay, you can play defensive end. Well, they weren't as good on defense with him out there. Moving him back inside and adding Melvin Fowler, suddenly their defense has more pop as well. This is why for the Titans, this is a big deal. If you can win this football game on Sunday and clinch home field, you don't have to go to Kansas City Mm. for an AFC championship game. That could be a big factor because, you know, you know what a tough place that is to win. And the last two years, it's been a tough place to win in January. All right. So the Titans played the Steelers on December 19th and the Steelers won the game. But there you were, Heinz Field, and you knew it was Roethlisberger's last year. We all saw Roethlisberger's last home game the other night. What were your thoughts about that, seeing that unfold? I mean, this is the end of an era there, and I know it's the Steelers and it's an AFC rival and all that, but it is an NFL special thing in a way. And Steeler fans are special. You know, they're the real thing. They're the real McCoy. And, you know, we had a a walk to the car after the game of nearly a mile, and Mm. – um. You know, you're wearing your Titans gear and you've just lost. And and the Steeler fans couldn't have been nicer. You know, they had a lot of class. And, you know, that's that scene because of who they are is a big deal. They're royalty in this league and they've earned it and they act like it. Um, I think Roethlisberger's come to the end of the line. We we lost to them on a day where we never should have lost. Offensively, they just don't have the pop that they once did. Uh, Roethlisberger always had that ability to run around and make plays and that's not his game anymore mm-hmm. but it, but at the same time they're the Steelers right. I mean why are they entering Sunday 8-7-1 and one? the only reason is because they're the Steelers because yep. they think they're the Steelers and very few teams in the league have that kind of moxie when they're quote unquote down and yet they're still right in the middle of this thing until the end and That's the type of respect you have to have for that organization, in my opinion. Yeah, very well put, Mike. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans with us. All right, so last year the Titans won the division for the first time in a long time, since 2008. Now the Titans have won it back-to-back. What does it mean? I know it's all about championships, but this is a nice little feather in the cap. Obviously, good trend here for the Tennessee franchise. It is. I mean, listen, it was hard to win it last year. I had to bank in a field goal to win that one. And and you've said it right. It had been 12 years. Um, I think what it comes down to is the Titans have been the most consistent over the last six years with John Robinson. They've had a plan. They've stuck with the plan. Some things have not worked, but the majority of them have. And continuity is such a big deal just being able to have the continuity that the organization has. It starts with our owner. Amy Adams Strunk is fantastic. And she has given everybody the ability 
and the resources and the freedom to do what they need to do. And, you know, the division titles are a result of, I think, the continuity overall. Six straight winning seasons, which is the second longest in our franchise's history, Mm. which is over 60 years, as you know. So I, I think the continuity is such a big deal, you know, not pulling the trigger at at just one minute where things don't look right or something doesn't go right. You keep doing, you believe in your plan, you do what you do, and that's what they've been able to do. And so you're in it. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, the season is a success. The question becomes, how big a success can it be? And that's what we're going to see in the next few weeks. All right, one more for you, Mike. Last week it was announced that former Texan and, dare I say, former Titan and Colt, pardon me while I collect myself, Andre Johnson uh, (laughs) is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The announcement comes out Super Bowl week. Is Andre Johnson a Hall of Famer in your opinion? A hundred percent. And he's yours. I know he's yours. He he won a game (laughs) for us in Detroit, so we appreciate him. But – This is a guy that um, was the epitome of class. He would have, he would certainly be on my all opponent team that I would have over 20 years of doing this. Mm. He did it. He did it the right way. He made big plays in big situations. He wasn't just good. He was great. The the hall of fame is for the great. Mm -hmm. And this guy is a great. So I, I certainly hope he goes in right away and gets that opportunity because I was fortunate enough, as you were, uh, to see him play. You were more fortunate to call the majority of his games. And when you have players like that that play for you, um, it, it, it's what really makes this job so special. And even when you're calling guys on the other teams, you know, yeah. when you when you have an opportunity to see people play to a special level, I mean, you don't love it that they do it to your club, but at the same time, you do appreciate that they're doing it at this level because you appreciate what the National Football League is all about and how special these athletes are. Andre Johnson is a great and belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for uh, the time, Mike, and uh, we appreciate you saying that. Hopefully he gets in on Super Bowl week, and we can celebrate all offseason long. The matter at hand, Texans and Titans on Sunday. Thanks so much for the time, Mike. Mark, thank you. In this job, I've got an opportunity to meet a number of different play-by-play voices, voices of particular teams across the league. One of my great friends is a sideline reporter, uh, both T.J. Reeves down in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers, my man Sal Capaccio with, with Buffalo. I've gotten to meet different people. Mike Keith is one of the best. I absolutely love what he brings to the Titans. I love his, his broadcasting energy. I love when he jumps on the show. I love when we get a chance to catch up with him at the Combine. Hopefully there is a Combine and we'll be able to be there. Uh, and I know for a fact we'll definitely catch up with Mike Keith there. Now, another guy that I love during his time, not only as a player, but I wasn't here when he was playing. It was right when he retired. He came over and well, he was around our radio station a lot. Got to be good friends with him. We call him Patch Mac. You guys know him as Marcus Coleman. It's a little Wednesday. Where are they now with Drew Doherty with Marcus Coleman next right here on Texans All Access.
I know we've got a lot of really big fans out there today, but I got to give some props to today's biggest fan. That's Daikin. These guys are doing big things in Houston, from comfort and convenience to air quality. Daikin's innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future, reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. As the world's number one air conditioning company, Daikin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. Learn more at perfectingtheair.com. It's Daikin, and it's me, John Harris, football analyst and salary reporter, and it's Drew Doherty, and it's Where Are They Now? And that means it's time for Marcus Coleman to get on the show. This is going to be fun. Marcus and Drew, take it away. This is a real treat because we've got an original Houston Texan, Marcus Coleman, a defensive back. And Marcus, we were just joking off air. We're probably going to need to do about six or seven of these over the next couple of years because you've crossed yeah. paths with just about everybody not just in the NFL, but in your, your football life, really. But first things first, we see the background there. Trinity, Yeah. what's going on? Coaching the secondary at Trinity University. Uh, it's, a division, it's a Division three school here in, in San Antonio. Uh, similar to, uh, we kind of call ourselves the Ivy League or the Stanford of the South, just because of the academic requirements. Athletically, we were you know, just as good as well. So we unfortunately lost in the first round of the playoffs this year. So just, you know, trying to build on next year. And right now, you know how the college grind is. Everybody's recruiting right now. So we just got off the road just trying to get it in, man. We're doing good. Yeah. How'd you choose to go to Trinity as far as, as coaching? Because you've done a few different things since you left the NFL after the 06 season, right? Yeah. I was coaching indoor. Actually, my last year in Dallas, the head coach, Jeremy Urban, he and I kind of crossed paths. Coach Irv played about eight or nine years, but it was in the early part of his career. We kind of crossed paths and then uh, just kind of got introduced with Jason Minix and Dat Win. for those of you yeah. who you know, are A&M fans. Yes. We just kind of reconnected that way. Dat and I were doing radio on ESPN 12. ESPN is on 1240 down here in San Antonio. We just kind of reconnected that way. And, you know, as I was going through my indoor coaching phase, Coach Irv was working his way to being the head coach. And, and uh, you know, shortly after he got it, he, he brought me on staff. Like I mentioned at the top, you're an original Texan. And a lot of folks that are watching and listening to this, they know a lot about the guys that played in the last few years, but they don't know about the sort of the history of the franchise and how things started. You were almost part of a package deal with Aaron Glenn. You guys have been starters for yeah. the Jets at corner. And right. the Texans plucked you and a lot of other really, really good defensive players and a few other offensive players, but really good defensive players in that first expansion draft. And in 2002, Wins and losses, they don't really come uh, the way you'd like, but that's that's what happens with an expansion team. But you guys still had, right. a, had a hell of a defense, and you were a main part of that. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know what? Actually, Aaron and I ended up playing, what's the close to eight or nine years together. Yeah, <laughs> you know, between the, the Jets and, and Dan and Houston. The way that it started, you know, getting guys like Jamie Sharper, obviously Seth, Gary Walker, guys like that could come in and that have won before, you know, in different places. I think that was – you know, what Mr. Castle and Coach Capers were trying to do. They were trying to get guys that had experience, particularly on defense. It's easier to build a defense, you know, start a little faster, kind of wait to the offense to catch up, you know, as they get the rhythm going and, and get some continuity, get some other guys a place to where, you know, they get to the level that you want. So, you know, I thought we obviously held our own, you know, as much as we could. But being young on offense, you know, honestly, I probably would have liked to have seen David, you know, probably wait a year or so behind a vet. But obviously, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> so <laughs> but, uh, we were trying to do everything, trying to make sure that we played the kind of football that we wanted. And we were kind of old school in, in regards, like Coach Fangio, who was our DC at the time, like Coach Capers, you know, they're old school, 
run to the ball, tackle, physical kind of coaches. That's the background that they come from. And we just try to live to that and try to do that every weekend. I mean, it was fun. Obviously, you don't get the wins, you know, the wins that you want, but it was fun coming in and kind of laying the groundwork for everything, you know, that's happened up until this point. All right, let's rewind back to your high school days. You went to a place in Dallas, (laughs) Lake Highlands. And for those that don't know, there have been many, many great football players who went on to the NFL, played at Lake Highlands. Texans fans know about Wade Smith. He was in the... NFL for about a decade. He was a pro bowler here. You have Phil yep. Dawson, the kicker, who is a little bit after you, I'm guessing, yeah, right? Phil's about a year or two after me. Mm-hmm. You, had Hanks, played together. you had Merton yeah. Hanks, who had Merton the rubber neck. A nice, <laughs> whole lot of guys. But you were on a team, I, t- correct me if I'm wrong, you were with Detron Smith, who made it to the NFL, and Derek mm-hmm. Cullors, a couple of running backs. Mm-hmm. They, they ran the wishbone. Were you also a, a, a running back as well, or did you play both ways? Or how good was this this Lake Highlands team you're on? Oh man, it was so good. I actually started it in the beginning. I played a little bit of wide out or tight end. Mm-hmm. Obviously, only got a couple of catches and then you know went over to free safety full time. So I didn't play a lot both ways a lot. And at that point, knowing we were running the wishbone, didn't want to anyway. So I just played mainly defense, you know, defensive special teams. But we were good. It ended up so my sophomore year, we lost to Huntsville down in Waco. Um, and that team was actually loaded too. Larry Walker, Eddie Robinson, Byron, you know, Byron, a lot of those guys. And then with Detron, myself, Derek, we lost to actually ended up playing Carter in the Cotton Bowl. Wow. Yeah. Huge game. Yeah. So it was about 36, 37,000, you know, even back then. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we ended up losing to Carter that year. And then the next year, we faced Carter again in the first round. And they barely beat us in my senior year. So those teams were good, man. We had some some guys that there were some really good athletes that came out of Lake Highlands. And had and have for a long time. I mean, you can go back as far as Alfredo Griffith, tight end, mm-hmm. came out of Lake Highlands, Hall of Famer. I mean, I know that was a while back, but there have been a lot of guys that made it to the NFL that have come out of Lake Highlands. And I think at one point, I want to say it was while I was playing, obviously, um, we had more guys in the NFL from Lake Highlands High School than anybody at one point. Wow. I want to say it was like midway through my career. There were a bunch of us just kind of floating around, mm-hmm. you know, at a lot of different teams, you know, during, during that time. So did you play for Zafudo or was he after you? Yeah, Cozy. Yeah. No, Cozy was my coach. Yeah, okay. Cozy. Yeah, he, he was a pretty famous guy up there in the Dallas area. I know a little bit about this because I went to SMU and I graduated from right. SMU in 2000, but I started there in 96. My roommate was from Lake Highlands and the guy that lived across, the two guys that lived across the hall were two of his buddies from Lake Highlands. So I heard all about Lake Highlands football and, and all that. Okay. They had a pretty good. They had a pretty good team, like when we were in college. But yeah, I yeah. saw that. And I was like, "Holy cow!" Three guys from one team in the NFL. Yeah. And I knew you guys ran yeah, that wishbone. So that was yeah. that. And then you go on to Texas Tech, where again, I mean, you're on one of the best Texas Tech teams to that point. You guys made the Cotton Bowl, and you hadn't been to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I think it's what like the 40s or 50s, maybe. Or it, yeah, you know, it was. It was. Yeah, it was a while. You're on there it with Zach Thomas and, uh, mm-hmm. and, a, and a lot of other guys. What was that like playing out in West Texas after what you did in, in high school and you know being around the talent that was out there at that time? It was fun because, you know, it was – and it's weird. It was one of those things where it was kind of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you know, out in luck, you know, with Coach Dykes. And they made a hard push at a lot of the guys in Dallas, you know, in Dallas, to be honest with you. So outside of myself, I know from Carter, there were about – five or six guys alone, you know, that they kind of came over, you know, in my freshman class. And then uh, you get Zach out of Pampa, Jerome Woods who came out of, uh, not Jerome Woods, but Jerome who came out of uh, Prosbyton. So he just, you know, kind of scattered around. We had a couple of guys from California, you know, kind of come in and 
I mean, it really was a rebuild. And to have an opportunity to build it up to get to the Cotton Bowl, even though in some spots we were outmatched that USC team that year, I think everybody on the two deep went in the first and second round that year. It was yeah. it was unbelievable. You know, that was the Keyshawn, Brad Johnson, you know, all that, you know, all those guys. Tony Baselli, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Curtis Conway, like, yeah, that, that whole crew. So uh yeah, was Willie McGinnis on that team too. Willie Willie McGinnis was Golly. on that team. <laughs> so, Holy so, yeah. That's what I think. That, I think the first, at least the first, I know the, the first two D, those dudes had them going second or third round. Everybody. Yeah. That's how loaded they were. Yeah. They were good though. So yeah, we came out fast and, you know, and ended up losing, you know, by a lot, but having the opportunity to play and get back was a step forward for us just because again, you kind of setting, you know, setting the trend or building the path for, you know, the guys below us. And we were getting some group recruits in. 96, the first year in the Big 12, didn't go as planned, you know, for Coach Dykes, but he was retiring at that point. And you get Leach and he rolls in and, you know, gets it rolling. So, you know, that's, you know, kind of what it was about, you know, but it was exciting though. Exciting yeah. time to look. You ever cross paths with Mike Leach? I know he was after your playing days, but. Yeah. But no, Coach Leach and I have seen each other on and off over the years and, and have talked to each other. I like Coach Leach. Yeah. Funny guy. Definitely understands the game himself. Sense of humor is a little different, you know, which, which is fine, but, you know, but I like him a lot. You know, he's, he's a really good coach. He's done a lot of good things and, and, uh, you know, he's doing well now. So. Yeah, I like the way you say a little different because he's a he's a Martian. You know, I, I worked out in Lubbock for about four years and I hosted his coaches. He's he's a Martian, and I I would tell him that to his face, and he'd but uh yeah yeah you'd probably that's kind of hard to quantify about Martians and everything. Yeah, yeah, he was he also had a he has a people don't realize this I don't think, but he has a pretty good sense of history, and so like yes, if you bring up your Very name, so. uh, Marcus Coleman, really great player, played, played great history here at Texas Tech, one of the great play. You know, he would he would rattle off your stats. He he knew about the guys that had come before. You know, whether mm-hmm. it was a guy like you or Zach Thomas or all the way back to, you know, guys like EJ Holub and whatnot. But yeah, anyway, that's no, he he does he that no, he does, but he's he he does that. I don't think he does that on purpose. I think he just likes to know that you know mm-hmm. those kind of things. You know, he likes to retain that kind of information. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of who he is. So. Got a curious mind for sure. Yep. So yep. you leave Texas Tech, you go into the NFL, and you go to the Jets. Tough first year, but then Bill Parcells comes to town. And Bill Parcells, yeah. if you follow his history, he comes in and he turns things around. What was that like playing for Bill Parcells? What was your first Bill Parcells moment? Because I don't think I've ever met anybody that played for him that can't recall mm-hmm. what happened the first time they met him. What was that like? Ooh, well, after leaving in. Well, I guess after Rich Cotite left and Bill comes in, shoot, there's so many I got. I'm, I'm trying to pick a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, give me the first one. You don't, don't have yeah. to be the best one. Give uh, me just like the – what do you first remember seeing him like or, or interacting with him? What was that like? It was – and I'll be honest with you, I was a little – not a, it wasn't fear. It was more of kind of like the old, you know what, look who's in town kind of dude. Sure. And, uh, so, you know, introducing yourself to him and, and talking to him, you know, he – and he's kind of like – he he already knows everything about everybody, you know, before he walks into the building, you know, which is crazy considering he didn't have a lot of time to do that. Um, you know, I do remember, you know, and this is kind of the famous one that a lot of people do know that we were in training camp and I'd missed the call or something, whatever it is. And he started calling me the wizard, you know, so, uh, you know, meaning, you know, I wasn't very smart, you know, during that particular time. So I didn't get offended by it, obviously, you know. I'm from the old school, and that's kind of how our coaching was. He was really, really hard on us. Like, he was mentally and physically, especially in the beginning when he first got there. Training camp was about eight weeks long. Mm. It was a couple of weeks like it is now. Uh, you know, we were in, we, we were pretty much in full pass every day. You know, we'd start training camp off on certain days. Even kind of practice, just live goal, you know, live goal line period. 
you know, to start practice off. But he was one of those guys where he knew how to put things together. And that's, you know, everybody always makes fun of the, or, or talks about him, you know, going to the grocery store, being able to pick the groceries, you know, right. kind of deal with him. And they come in here in Dallas. Well, yeah, because he's really cooking his dish. So when he, you know, when he's put, putting players in certain positions, when you see the revolving door as you're coming to the facility of guys that are just coming in and coming out, you know, that's him, you know, kind of, you know, making his dish, adding salt, adding pepper, or, you know, taking a little water out, adding a little water. But he was he was really good at doing that. And But the thing is, as hard as he was, he loved every one of us. If he he jumped your butt. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like yeah. He ripped you like it was no tomorrow. But he put you to the side, whether it be during the play or he hit you in the hallway, be like, hey, come see me. You know, he'd love you up and he'd tell you the why. So it wasn't one of those things where you didn't know you know, you always knew where he stood, you know, when he when he was talking to it. It was him just trying to get the best out of you and be mentally and, and, and physically prepared, you know, to go out and play. But he he was awesome, man. I mean, he I mean, I, I've had some really I've really been blessed to have some really good coaches going all the way back to Coach Z, Coach Dykes, mm-hmm. Coach Capers and Fangio, you know, Coach, you know, Parcells, even, you know, Belichick and that whole crew, Rack, you know, who's down in Houston. You know, I've really been blessed to be part of you know, just kind of that whole coaching line that I've had the opportunity to play for. Yeah, and, you know, he felt the same way about I mean, he was he's a fan of you because you obviously, you, you started while you were there with the Jets, but then he he brought you in when you when he was at the Cowboys in 06, mm-hmm. well after the fact. He didn't do that with everybody. So if he right. brought guys in, because I remember I was in Dallas when he came to the Cowboys in 03, and that, that right. training camp, he brought in about four or five guys who had played for him before, and they were sort of tone setters, leaders. He... There were his yep. guys that he wanted in. And by the time you came in, you know, he had he had been there a while, but that was right. an important thing in his mind to bring back guys who had played for him before, wasn't it? Yeah, it was because and like you said, the leadership qualities that he felt some guys had, also understanding and knowing what he expected day in and day out, because he's not one of those guys, he's not gonna babysit anybody. Like he's I hate to use the player coach thing, but he understood the kind of guys that he needed in the locker room, take care of certain things, whether it be in-house fights or if you needed to get somebody to get practice going the right way um, or needed somebody to talk to somebody because he wasn't a rah-rah guy. That's, yeah. He, he He's never been that way. But when you have, <clears throat> like we had in New York, you know, you have a Pepper Johnson come in, you know, somebody like that, that played for Bill, knows what he wants. You know, Jerome Henderson, who played safety, came over from New England understood who was a Curtis Martin who came in same thing so when he did he was doing that in Dallas it was the same thing you get certain guys plant them in the locker room you know let them plant good seeds you know kind of keep everything going be good leaders so he enjoyed doing that and you're right he didn't do it with a lot of guys so I'm definitely fortunate you know to be you know to have been one of those dudes but that's what he was about though that's him showing how much he cared and how much he loved you know loved his, his players you know, you guys went pretty far with the Jets. You know, you went to the AFC title game, and then the next year you're loaded, and everybody remembers. Yeah. Testaverde goes down that first week. But you know, what was your what was your favorite time there with with New York? What's your favorite memory from those days playing? Man, that was the one because the next year, so we lose the we lose the Elway, but that was his first Super Bowl. They ended up beating Atlanta. Crazy thing about that is, is we just beat Atlanta earlier that year. So, um, you know, as we're rolling down and, you know, kind of going through it, we're like, okay, if we're actually watching, because we actually, we had the later game, because I think Minnesota, Minnesota and Atlanta were playing early, you know, earlier. And we were watching the end of that game in the locker room, getting ready for our game uh, and going out. And it was that whole scene, it was like time slowed down during that moment because you could kind of feel 
that we were right there. You know, all we had to do was go out and beat Denver. And Denver was a good team. I mean, obviously, Elway, Ross Smith, Terrell Davis, you know, Shannon Sharps there, you know, they had a good, really good team. In the first half, we were kind of on course. Then whatever mile high God blew the kickoff back doing, you know, huh. doing wind up and, you know, during, and, you know, ball starts going backwards. And from then on, it's kind of downhill. But uh, so that, that moment was pretty significant. And actually another, you know, and there's a bunch of different moments. We had a moment where we had to win to get into the playoffs. We beat Oakland to go to the playoffs. They had to fly back to Oakland next week uh, to go play them in the first round. And that's when Oakland had Rice and Tim Brown, Rich Cannon. You know, they were pretty good, too. We ended up losing to them. So we lost the two Super Bowl winners, you know, a couple of years in a row. But in the middle of that is, um, you know, obviously when 9-11 happened. So... Um, that was your last season with the Jets, yeah. Yeah, so for me, it was because we were one of the main people that they called, they were like, because we had to fly to Oakland that week. Right. We were like, we're not flying to Oakland that week. So, you know, the league actually called us and honestly, they kind of allowed us to kind of, you know, set the table for canceling that entire weekend, you know, the entire week, you know, of football, just because we didn't need to, you know, we needed to go down, you know, go down to the city and, and help out if we could, or, you know, try to figure out some things. And, and uh, so the league let us do that. So for me, that was a proud moment because we were one of the, the initiators of that you know, that cancellation week, you know, and the coach came in and talked to us and kind of laid it out for us. And like, look, if y'all don't want to go, y'all have to go. We we're like, no, we're not going. <clears throat> What's going on is a lot more important than playing a football game. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few for during that time, good and bad moments, you know, that yeah. have been, you know, significant during that, you know, during that time. So. Man, you saw quite a bit. And then the next spring, you wind up coming to Houston. What was that expansion draft like? You obviously knew what was going on, but when did you first kind of find out, like, hey, I'm probably headed to this new expansion team? You knew, I don't know, probably like 30 minutes before it happened. Really? Obviously, everybody's on the, yeah, because everybody's on the phone, agents call or whatever it is. And so they call you and tell you that they're going to put you on the expansion draft and leave you unprotected. Like, okay, fine. Obviously, I thought we had a good shot at going just because, you know, and this is not me blowing my own horn, but you had pretty good, you know, two pretty good corners from one team, you know, to kind of, you know, be the, the, cornerstones or the building blocks of your organization you know why wouldn't you take them yeah so, <laughs> so you know both texas guys both understand houston you know aaron's from houston about 30 minutes before agent tom jimmy section was like yeah you guys are going it's like okay it wasn't really it's not exciting as the draft before, you know the first time but it was still fun being i guess selected as one of the original you know original guys and and uh, kind of being known and being the face of the, you know, as the team is coming back, you know, being an original Texan, for sure. Coming in and you're the ones that, you know, kind of have to lay the groundwork. So myself, Aaron, Gary, Tony Buscelli, Seth, you know, we had to be the ones, Jamie, you know, Jamie Sharper. We had to be the ones to come in and kind of get it get it going. You start laying that groundwork, like I said. That's what we were expecting, you know, that's what was expected of us. A lot of us came from winning programs. You know, Jamie had won Super Bowl already. Gary was playing well in Jacksonville. Uh, obviously, going to the playoffs three or four times in New York. So obviously understanding, you know, how to do that, you know, between Aaron and I. So, you know, that's why for Charlie Cashley, <laughs> that's why he selected us. You know, that's what we're there for. Great to hear Marcus Coleman on the show this evening. All right, we get back. We'll hit our final notes on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. 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 We've got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access, our last Wednesday All Access of the 2021 season. 
I am your host, have been your host. This is the eighth year that I have done that. John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And hard putting words what your guys' support has meant, being able to do this show every single Wednesday, every single Friday. I'll save my tears, I guess, and everything for Friday because that'll be the last. Well, that, no, it won't be the last all-access show this season. That'll come on Monday after the Texas take on the Tennessee Titans. The game stayed at noon. This one, there actually was a little bit of a rumor going around that potentially this game was going to move to Saturday, but the game that ended up moving to Saturday was the Chiefs and the Broncos, which, if my math is correct, if my math is correct, the Chiefs lose that game on Saturday. I'm, it's pretty darn close at that point whether the Titans have then sealed the number one seed. Now, I do think the Patriots can still play a role, and the Bills as well can still play a role in getting that number one seed if the Chiefs lose, but the Chiefs are the team right now at 11-5. and five. And if they tie with the Titans, then the Titans would end up winning the division. So keep an eye on what the Chiefs do on Saturday against the Broncos, which... Well, it'll be exciting in its own right. That game will kick at 3.30 Central. Other Saturday game and some news with that one. Cowboys take on the Eagles. Micah Parsons just put on the COVID-19 list. Now, we have seen, as we saw with Carson Wentz last week, put on the list earlier in the week. You got an opportunity to get back on Sunday. Now, Wentz didn't play exceedingly well against the Raiders, but beside the point, to get a guy like Micah Parsons back for the Cowboys We'll see if he's able to do that. Now, the Cowboys can't win the number one seed or get the number one seed like the Titans can because that's wrapped up with the Packers. And the Packers play on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on our game, but in the afternoon, there are a ton of games that are going on that are going to have playoff implications, including Patriots at the Dolphins, the Cardinals taking on the Seahawks, They've got an opportunity, the Cardinals do, to win the division, depending on what happens with the 49ers and the Rams out in SoFi. The NFC West is probably the most intriguing one of the day. All right, got to thank Mark Vandermeer. Got to thank Mike Keith, Drew Doherty, Marcus Coleman, D.P. Sidhu, Jim Wyatt, Nick Casario, all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow right here at Sports Radio 610. Thank you again. And as always, go Texans.